Welcome to What's Korean Cinema episode 45 on the movie Alice in Ernest Land. The unluckiest but most efficient woman in the world enters the world of death and when the world screws her over she enters revenge mode. It's very funny. But you should feel ashamed and feel a bit ashamed of yourself if you think it's funny. And uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> this all takes place uh, in the 2015 black comedy Alice in Ernest Land. My name is Kenny B. And with me is Angle Salido. It's Paul Quinn who recommended uh, the movie for the show. And uh, essentially programmed this. Uh, which was not the, the juggernaut of 2015. But Paul knew of it. So that's that's always something I suppose. Well there you go. Hi guys. How you doing? Hope you enjoy our little talk about Alice in Ernest Land. Which deserves to be talked about. They pulled me in different directions. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't necessarily feel shame when I watch movies, but it's one of those. <laughs> well, it's, it's not light. It's pretty dark, but it's also sort of funny, and I'm finding myself being entertained by this. So, uh, but it's, it's not that complicated when you do watch it, which I hope uh, you do. We'll get you uh, some details and uh, hopefully craft some motivation in terms of uh, seeking out the movie and watching it. Yourself, this was my first uh, viewing of it, and um, I was delighted uh, when I can go in with, with a blank slate and uh, and, and to give you a, like, like a little uh, a little further motivation to go into this particular Korean movie. It's a 2015 movie that's only 90 minutes. Nope, it's not a part one. 90 <laughs> swift to the point, in and out minutes. <laughs> I do love the fact that whenever you find that out, you sent me a message saying, is this just part one? It's a valid question, damn it. Yeah, well, yeah, totally. But, you know, yeah. It's a it's still it's still a rarity, I think. Uh, maybe because they, this was so small, they weren't like saddled with uh, prolonging it because uh, we gotta get uh, we gotta get uh, maximum volume out of this star-studded showcase kind of a thing. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah, and I mean, a, a lot of the big commercial film companies are the ones that dictate you've got to have you know two hours and your your main reveal hits at about an hour so it, it's their fault as much as anything else and th- this was released by cj but it was it was wholly independent it's a little kaffa movie so you know he was allowed to do what he did i think didn't make him go back and shoot another half hour and that's good thank heavens not and and, and good that you got cj supporter uh, in the end there so uh, because uh, we're not out here to spear cj we'll we love cj but uh, uh, that's nice that they uh, like to go into the process at that stage and and get a movie released it, it, it's very 50 50 but i mean we'll talk about that as we go through you know for sure uh let's uh, uh stay stay with you because uh, you have a review and interview site called hangul celluloid uh, they, uh, did you post a review of this or you've merely shared your views with friends and online uh, of the movie or uh, this way this went up promptly after dvd release or cinema release essentially i saw it at the 2015 london korean film festival right and 
you know, every year at the festival, you watch a lot of stuff, some's good, some's less than, and I'll always, rather than do a, these are the best things, I'll always just choose my film at the festival, and this was it for the 2015, so within hours, you know, I'm slow, it takes me a couple of days to put, you know, thoughts together, but once I saw this, I was home and started writing about it straight away, you know, so it was, you know, it, it hit me quite well, considering it's such a small movie for for it to be my film of the festival says a lot for it, I think. What plays better during that festival? Um, because, you know, they bring in different genres, but, uh, you know, can, can you sense that vibe in the room that uh, the audience like when they're giving something that's wild or audiences are perfectly perfectly all right and enthralled by something dark and arty? Like, uh, what's the sort of vibe you get from uh, what, what the audience taste is there? You can really, really tell that there'll always be one that, you know for a fact just listening to the reactions as the film goes on whether it's gasps or giggles or whatever you can just tell that you know they do a, what was your favorite film of the festival as well and uh, you can guarantee that certain films will win you know what i mean it, it, and that maybe sometimes is the fact that there's just silence from start to finish and then a round of applause you know mm-hmm. so for sure yeah, well, it, it's a very showcase, though. It's not just the wild cinema. It's just it's it isn't just or Park Chan Wook's movies only. Uh, particularly, yeah, it seems like they, they bring in a, a roster that's uh, varied, and uh, they get a screening at the very least. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, they they actually have been making deliberate attempts to try and make things smaller, if you like. So you've got a lot of first-time directors. You've got really off-kilter little things about, say, women in Korean cinema or just everyday life rather than here's the latest along with the gods blockbuster thing. So I think that's a good thing because you get to see stuff that's that's worthy of being seen. A lot of the, the blockbusters are entertaining, but they are really, really, you know, CGI throwaway a lot of the time. But uh, regardless, uh, uh, within Hangouts Ellie Lloyd, there, there, there is stuff. So what can people find when they go to what URL, Paul? My URL is, if you like, www.hangocelluloid.com. I'm exclusive to Korean cinema, so you'll find film reviews. Um, my reviews tend to be essays in a way. They are long, deliberately long, because I like to give context and societal issues that are covered, whether overtly or, or underneath. There's a load of interviews on there, um, and I've been increasingly given sort of talks at institutions here there and everywhere and all the, the talks i've given are all transcribed on there so you can nip over have a little look at a review maybe find an interview with the director and i may well have talked about a certain film at a talk and you can hear my thoughts on that after this if you want to pop over you can go and read my review of alice in earnest land which is you know on there but well, let's face it once we've done this you'll know what i think of it anyway so there's options for you. Either you can calmly read or, uh, well, calmly listen as well. There's uh, there's uh, options that Paul offers up for you, and and as do I in terms of my writing and uh, and because uh, so some people absorb as they read and some people absorb uh, better as they listen. So it's uh, multimedia. So uh, well done, totally. good, good on you. And uh, next up, uh, Paul Queen TED Talk. Right, it's going that well, correct? Yes, it is. It's just it's phenomenally well. Um, things things are clicking along nicely. Uh, too too much to do, too little time, but you get through it somehow, you know. So 
and uh, you 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 you're gonna go with the uh, controversial title of your TED talk, uh, uh, "Despicable Women," in and then in small letters, the cinema of Kim Ki Young, and then and then everybody's gonna get the <laughs> get it wrong, and then you'll go viral for the wrong reasons, and then you realize this was a bad idea. You know, I have recently um, I have talked a lot about despicable women, as in Kim Ki Young's statement, what he called them. You know, I constantly have to think of saying that, you know, he did say that it isn't me. I'm not saying women are despicable and, you know, and there there are still looks and glances. So I may well have a reputation somewhere along the line, but I'll just have to deal with it, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, regardless uh, for the rest of the contact information, this is What's Korean Cinema on the podcast on Fire Network. Uh, that uh, question started out as a joke. Paul Quinn has uh, developed it into... Uh, deep, um, not somber, but definitely, definitely not uh, or sober thoughts on uh, the issue of cinema. You know, I've uh, planted a seed in him without knowing it, which is a <laughs> which is a good thing. You know, he he he'll analyze and then um, you know he won't stay up seventy two hours analyzing it like the question mark. What does it mean? But Robert Paul has just taken it to heart, and uh, that's uh, always something. Mm. And, and I certainly take it to heart because I treat this seriously, and I think uh, the sort of mission statement for this show, uh, whether we consciously think of it or not, uh, connects back to that phrase, what's Korean cinema? And uh, yeah. we are available on podcastonfire.com. We have a back catalogue of... Uh, Korean cinema reviews, uh, both uh, old black and white classics to the, at the time, very latest uh, and uh, brightest, uh, such as uh, Train to Busan, The Handmaiden, and so forth. Uh, we also have shows on, on the network, on Hong Kong cinema, on Taiwanese cinema, on uh, ninja movies. We did a run of uh, shows on those, uh, Richard Harris and Godfrey Ho ninja movies. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again, connected both to what's Korean cinema, but also... Uh, all uh, all uh, outtakes from back in the day or whatever topic or movie we uh, sort of uh, set along if, uh, to do a bonus episode on. Uh, this show opens up the sort of gates a little bit easier when it comes to the bonus episodes, which is something I like, even though the audience is limited, I think, for that. But, you know, to give you an example, listeners, when we did Train to Busan, we also did a bonus episode on the uh, animated sort of almost prequel to Train to Busan by, uh, by the same director. So it felt like rather than squeezing multiple uh, types of coverage in one and therefore making it as long as a Korean movie, we'll, <laughs> we, we gave you an option to, uh, to digest the uh, animated movie prequel of Train to Busan in a separate show. So um, that's uh, I, I do like that idea. And it starts with me, it starts with you and uh, our enjoyment and... Uh, if the ripples uh, start after that, then uh, we're very much grateful. And uh, if you want to contact us, uh, let us know if you watch Korean cinema. What's the latest Korean movie you've watched? What's your favorite Korean movie? Have you watched Alice in Earnest Land? Email us, podcastonfire at googlemail.com to let us know about that. But you can also interact with us on the same type of topics over on Facebook. Uh, click the button at the top of our website that will lead you to our page. We would appreciate a like in support, but also seek out our discussion group called Podcast on Fire Network for all show updates and uh, chat. And uh, join the friendly bunch that are over there. I think you'll like it. Follow our tweets as well, 
It's at Podcast on Fire. Subscribe to us on iTunes uh, or rather find us on Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a review and uh, star rating on iTunes and uh, all that uh, good stuff. I also write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies, sometimes with a Korean connection, uh, mainly in the martial arts side of things and in terms of location work. But I've also reviewed a fair amount of (laughs) subpar Korean animated movies and... uh, (laughs) Because it sort of connects back to Hong Kong. Hong Kong Distribution Company uh, uh, provided uh, the English dubs for these and shot them out internationally. You know, so they're, they're sort of sci-fi robot rip-off type of animated movies or- originating in Korea. So uh, but, uh, there's context to be found there as well, Paul. And I tweet over at that, so good reviews. So that's the contact information. Let's get into uh, the rundown uh, because uh, there are at least two distinct sections here that I'm going to let you know about. And there are time codes in the show post if you want to navigate directly to the review. Uh, But uh, what this episode will contain uh, is, uh, well, despite a young career of our director, there's still production and biographical notes on the debut director in his movie. And we will discuss... Uh, some tidbits about uh, director Ang Guk Jin and the emergence of uh, Alice in Ernest Land in uh, 2015. And we will then discuss and review the movie. So uh, that's uh, it in all simplicity. simplicity. So Alice in Ernest Land from 2015 and plot from Wikipedia. Since they had a brief plot synopsis and not a full plot synopsis for once. Makes a change. No one has written it yet because it's a small movie, I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but it goes as follows. Uh, Su Nam, played by Lee Jung Hyun, is a poor woman struggling to pay the hospital bills for her vegetative husband's care, even though her uh, hard work uh, seems to be hopeless. She still does this. She is suddenly granted the chance for a turnabout when a redevelopment project takes place. When that falls through, Sunam discards her honesty and adapts a cold-blooded approach to take revenge on whoever is responsible for her debt-ridden life. So the background, because there are some background notes here. This is the directorial debut of director An Guk Jin, who was educated and graduated from the theater and film department at Kyung Hae University. He went on to focus on directing studies at the Korean Academy of Film Film Arts, uh, where he made uh, the short film Stop by My House in 2008 as his graduation piece. This was subsequently screened at the Buchon International Fantastic Film Festival, the Seoul Independent Film Festival, and won the runner-up prize at the University Film Festival of Korea. While a, um, and, and then he did a subsequent short in 2010 called Double Clutch that won the grand prize in the short film section at the 2011 Jeon Ju International Film Festival. So we, we, I, I know these shorts sometimes just are elusive even though they're new, but regardless if you've seen those, what's the word, if any, in terms of content of these two shorts? And can one therefore draw a line to the feature debut, Alice in Ernest Land? Like, I mean, did he explore similar themes and style and content in those shorts? Pretty much 50-50. Um, if you look at the the short he did as his graduation project from CAFA, Stop by My House, um, it's the story of a, a transient sort of half-homeless person, a bum, who buys a place underground to live for $30. And in his wanderings, I guess, he meets a woman who lives in the toilet and he invites her to come back to his, you know, snazzy abode rather than her being in it place with your rhinos and stuff it's a social drama it's quirky 
and it's about the problems of living in Korea, the the problems that workers or non-workers have just making ends meet and actually having a life. And if you look at what we're going to be talking about with Alice in Ernestland, you can see the burgeoning of that idea or those ideas in his head. His other short, the later one, Double Clutch from 2010, is completely separate. Um, and from what I can gather, he was actually asked to create a film with of a certain type. So he'll have stepped away to do what he does. Um, it's about a prisoner on death row whose lawyer suggests that they they take a, a, a breach in the law to try and get him off the execution list. Um, and it's supposedly a lot more serious. So, you know, 50-50. Um, he is and, and has said that he is kind of obsessed with the difficulties of living in South Korea and he always wants to talk about them and I think that is his his raison d'etre or certainly currently is. He uh, pursued uh, other work or rather got a foot in one might say he worked as a production assistant on uh, Lee Chang-dong's movie Poetry in 2010 and he was the first assistant director on the 2012 movie The Weight which is about a hunchback mortician and his trans transgender stepsister so, so certainly no fear in terms of helping out crafting what seems like darker material or a little bit outside of the you know the tropes of cinema so um uh the weight isn't by lee chang dong but uh is that a is that a famous movie or not a super small movie super small movie because it's still seen as controversial you know anything that's out of the norm still will have more difficulty than say a, a lee chang dong film like poetry which is just you know it's him so therefore it's going to be big yeah, I, I always confuse these things, but uh, Lee Chang Dong is the uh, is the director of Oasis, correct? He's the director of Oasis. Right, yeah, right, right. Speaking of controversial things, because, but but I guess him being him at that point when he made Oasis, no one said like, oh, "Boo on you! We're not going to show you a movie ever. We're going to forget about it." On the contrary, I think Oasis has survived massively. So, and again, I keep keep talking about the important films of of the new Korean cinema wave. Oasis is way up in the list. You know, it, it's hugely influential, hugely important, both in terms of storyline and in terms of director and, you know, actors, etc., etc. Et mm, for sure. I even uh, reviewed it in writing on our site because I got a screener many years ago and uh, tried to put uh, forth my best uh, thoughts. Um, the, yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I could realize that uh, it's uh, this is not how you do cinema if you want to appeal to the general masses uh, <laughs> yeah totally but you know that's him it's it's things that things that need to be said rather than what he expects people to want to have and i think that could be kind of said for our director here you know it's sort of it looks like it's hard to tell when it's his first feature but it looks like he's going to be heading to talking about what he wants to talk about in the way that he wants to talk about it yeah, so so uh, Ann uh, got experience around film sets and uh, within the industry, and that led to his feature debut in 2015 with Alice in Ernestland. Did not check this if he wrote this or not. Yes, he did indeed. Yes, write it. Okay. he did. He did. Yeah. So uh, solely as well, so not a co-writing thing. Uh, so uh, it's quoted, if you read up on it beforehand, as a dark drama with surreal comical overtones falling somewhere in between Park Chan-wook's work and indie social dramas in terms of style, which is not entirely unfair. At least I did mm. it. Like that quote I pulled from my research, but I didn't need to delete the mention of Old Boy. They, they simply 
basically kept it to the, me- the mentions of the director, right? Because you you always harp on about like they always go to old boy directly, concrete yeah. in a concrete manner. But here it's more like it's like his work rather than it's like old boy. Totally, you know, and it it does have to be said as we'll talk about later on. You know, Andrew Jin and Park Chanuk do actually know each other. Do they really? Despite being uh, di- different generation filmmakers, part from being different generation and big via tiny, but we'll 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 talk about how they're linked as we go through. You mentioned what um, sort of themes and content that uh, was in Anguk Jin in his short movies, and that he then transferred on to Alice in Wonderland. But uh, outside of that, are there any nuggets out there via interviews and such uh, uh, in publicity uh, in promotion about? about Anne and uh, about the inspiration for for the movie uh, as a whole because it's not just the redevelopment uh, uh, plot here because it contains uh, a wild style of sorts so um, did he talk about uh, other things other than theme very much so you know i mean he he essentially said that when thinking about the film before he wrote the script you know he was aware that he had very dark thoughts so he decided he was going to do a black comedy because that came more easily to him. And he thought if he let his dark thoughts out in a serious film, people would find it far, far too dark. And if you consider how dark Alison Ernstland is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad of the little bit of humour here and there in it. Um, he also said, as I say, he's obsessed with the, the problems of living in Korea. And he, he quoted a, a, a common statement in Korea, which is the rich stay rich, the poor stay poor. And his whole inspiration behind Alice in Ernestland was trying to expose the truth or, you know, falsehood behind that statement. So that's where it came from in terms of building the script. As soon as he'd come to the conclusion that he was going to do a black comedy with social this, that and the other, he apparently immediately thought that he wanted singer and actress Lee Jung-hun. Um, who is Alice in Ernestland, to be in the film. And she's the only person he was interested in having. He approached her agency. They turned him down firstly. So, as I say, he knows Park chan All right. Plan, plan B. He, he went straight to Park chan and went, listen, um, I really want her in my film. Can you help? And, of course, Lee Jung-hyun, you may, may or may not remember from Park Chan-wook's Night Fishing. She plays um, a main female shaman character. Oh, right. That's her. The, the, well, she starts out as a corpse a little bit and then has a big old, uh, big old ritual in the second half. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, you know, as I say, she's she, she started off as a teenager uh, acting. Um, she was in a, a film called A Petal, which was about... And I always say it in almost every podcast. You know what I'm going to say. It's about Guanju. Uh, yeah, hideously difficult role. She plays a ghost and she was really young, she was a teen, but she got really good recognition. After that, she went into music and carried on acting. So Park chan got her in as this shaman who who both acts and does a, a, a sung ritual towards the end. And I have a feeling that Angus Jin, that he'll have certainly seen her in that, if not, you know, other stuff she's been in. So that's why I went to Park chan Park chan went straight to her acting agency and said, she needs 
to be in this. There's enough screw heads. <laughs> and they agreed. Nobody argues with Park Chan-ook. So there you go. Is, uh, is, is that a get, um, you know, commercially to have her at the forefront of your movie? I know, I know it's not necessarily Jun Ji-hyun exact same level, but still, is, the, is she still a get that will get people? It's like, oh my God, she's in a movie. Like, oh, is she more a little bit on the fringes and doing her own thing? No, no, no. She's been, you know, she's not the biggest star. She isn't, you know, a Jinji Hoon uh, or whatever. But her her work in in a, in a pedal, a pedal was a, a, a deeply. It was ninety six. It was a, a deeply controversial and deeply important film, and she just she hit home with it, and she went on to do Scent of Love. She did Night Fishing, as I say, and since then, you know, she was in Roaring Currents with Chamin Sick. She's been in Battleship Island. She's been doing big movies. She's she's sought off after for what she is. I think because she's not seen as a big name, and you know, you can watch night fishing, see her, recognize her, be impressed by her, and then you go and watch Alice in Ernest Land, and it takes a while to twig that, oh, it's it's her, you know? So her bigness is bigger than you would ex- expect, but she's still under the radar in a way. And she's done, you know, as I say, she's done like 12, 13 films, so. And uh, I didn't do any extensive biography on her because uh, that's not how I structured these things. But uh, I, I looked her up and she, uh, she she is a singer, as uh, Paul said. And uh, the sort of quick blurb online says that she's, uh, you know, other than act, uh, an actress uh, within the uh, music industry, she's known as uh, the techno queen. As she introduced uh, techno music uh, or the genre to Korea and also changes up her image quite a bit you know i'm sure someone has compared her to madonna in that regard but uh, that's an easy uh, comparison to do so certainly um certainly has traction in uh, in both fields if you will very much so very much so and uh, as i say you know if you haven't watched night fishing go and watch it because you'll you'll see her her talent in both fields you know she's an amazing singer she's hypnotic and she's a she's a great actress too as for the movie Alice in Ernest Land, it picked up a variety of awards, including Best Actress for, for Lee at the Blue Dragon Film Awards. Uh, a, the 39th Hong Kong Asian Film Festival awarded the director Best New Talent. And the 16th John Dew International Film Festival gave the film their grand prize. So it was certainly certainly thought of uh, there by, by awards jurors and maybe the critics as well. But Local box office wise, if you look at that year, it doesn't turn up in the top fifty. But you you read you read uh, on the flip side that the movie made back a large chunk of its budget. Granted, it was a low budget film, but uh, do inform us, Paul, if um, uh, of the box office performance of Alice in Ernest Land uh, and, and the disti- distinguished year of two thousand and fifteen in general. Um, you're welcome to sort of talk about because uh, s- simply put, Alice had no chance against movies like Veteran. Right. On one respect, it was good that Alice came out in 2015 because it was such a good year and it deserved to be part of that. On the other side of it, it was such a phenomenal year for Korean cinema. You know, it, it was like the fourth phenomenal year in a row. Alice really didn't stand a chance against the, the, the big things. It had a budget of four. I'll use US dollars so that you don't have to Kore- you know think about Korean one. Um, its budget was $425,000 and it ultimately made 311000 So it, it didn't quite make budget. If you include all the screenings at, at the many international film festivals, it did recoup its budget originally. 
But if you look at the box office for that year, number one film was Ryu Sung Wan's Veteran. You know, it made $93 million <laughs> at the box office. That's a heck of a lot of admissions. Right. Now, you compare that to Alice at 311,000 and you can see it's not going to be, you know, top 100. And and it, to be honest, if you look at the top 100 films in Korea that year, even number 100 met over a million pounds. So mm-hmm. Alice is, is down. She's going to be 150, 160. But she almost met her budget back when you compare the the lower things of the, the top 100 whose budgets were, you know, 30 times hers, and they made almost theirs back as well. Alice did okay. You know, in in total, she had a good run for what she was. CJ Entertainment has a a section called CGV Artists, and they work quite well, especially with CAFA, to grab independent films made by, you know, people who have graduated and distribute them. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There was a film last year called The Land of Seonghae, which, like Alice, was my film of the London Korean Film Festival. You know, it was it's phenomenal. It was shown, it was grabbed by distributor in, in Korea after it was made. It was shown on one screen for one screening, and it made $66. Now, how, how unfair is that? That happens so often, it's unbelievable. But more and more they're opening up a little bit to smaller films and giving them a little bit of a chance. Um, long story short, Alice in total had 44,100 admissions. It was only on in cinemas for a number of weeks, and it was shown on 69 screens. Now, that's nothing compared to the sort of roaring currents and veteran sort of thing. But for a tiny little film, she got better treatment than a lot of the other small films from from previous years really how's the uh, video on demand situation for small movies uh, as they do their small cinema run run do, do they automatically get put up on korean itunes or any other service in korea or you you're not um, uh, read up on that very very rarely that's that's the big problem what you've got with these small films is they'll either show them locally for a very short time in cinemas or well it will be a short time either short or stupidly short they'll pump them out to international festivals and a few festivals in Korea, and then they will disappear. They tend very much not to invest in getting them available for video on demand, et cetera, et cetera. All the video on demand stuff is the big things to recoup the insane amounts of money that they've already made. You know, you can guarantee if you look at 2015, you know, Assassination, which starred Jun Ji-hoon, directed by Choi Dong-hung. It went virtually straight onto VOD on, on various platforms. But you're looking for Alice, unless you've actually been sent the screener by a film company because you write about it, your chances of seeing it outside festivals is really diminished. And it's it's an absolute shame. Uh, granted, I got a DVD release, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know if the Korean audience is, is a keen physical media audience uh, because uh, we're living in 2019 digital is taking over more and more you know globally probably it really is but you know if nothing else i you know that was a big criticism of mine that i just gave on the other side of it at least it was given a dvd release which obviously it's not going to 
cost them too much money and they may recoup a little bit, but at least it has been available, which for things like Landis Young here, you're never going to see it again, ever. You know, Alice has done all right. She's been treated decently enough, a lot better than many others. Was a veteran your top 15, uh, 2015 movie or uh, you had other choices uh, further down the list of admissions? Long story short, in 2015, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here, sorry, but um, in 2015, Office, which is the Office for International Cultural Exchange in Korea, took me out there to cover Busan. And when I came back, I then did the LKFF. And one of the other groups, a, a place called United K-Pop, they sort of focus on K-Pop, but they do a bit of film here and there. They got in touch with me and said, will you do an article on your top five films of 2015? And Veteran wasn't in it. And it, it was by far the most successful film of 2015. I thought it was okay. It's Ryu Sung Wan. He's the action kid. It's decent enough. But I thought Assassination was so, so much better. The Priests, which is an incredible exorcism movie that's just, it, it just resets the whole balance. That one of mine as well. Um, In Context Vivra came out that year starring Anson Key. And uh, one of them, one of his, one of my favorite In Context films, and I've seen a lot of Impontak films. Shin Suwon's Madonna, um, which is a heartbreaking story of just abuse. Um, really hard to watch, but absolutely un- unforgettable. So I would put veteran maybe 10, 11, 12. But, you know, audiences cover all bases and it hit so, so well to make 93 million. Next, you know, Assassination was the second most successful Korean film, and it made 87 million. So immediately, there's a huge drop down. Very cool. Well, that's the context for you. Let's uh, move over to the review of Alice in Ernest Land. And as for my short opinion, I, I thought this was uh, very, very entertaining, and uh, it has an infectious blend of uh, moods uh, done very confidently. It has its quirky touches that then blends itself with the quite harsh darkness and. And uh, on the surface, melodrama. It's not melodramatic, but this is a melodramatic story, a dramatic story. Yet, it's sprinkled in an understated way with this sort of... Well, there's a humorous cloud over the proceedings that I can't quite explain in any other way, I suppose. Uh, But it, it gets away with it. It doesn't stray. All of that doesn't clash, and it's aided by... A, a very active but not too eager visual style. Uh, it looks uh, it looks more expensive than it is. Really, is a good looking slick movie, and uh, it's got a dedicated lead performance that really carries us uh, through. So this is a little bit of a gem that uh, you you you'll gasp at some sections, then you'll laugh, and maybe you'll laugh during certain certain sections that you shouldn't laugh at. But uh, there, there is a cloud over this that's rather amusing um but i can't put my finger on on it in a, any other scholarly way i suppose uh, but uh, let, let's move over to you and your re-examination of alice in earnest land so in short uh, what did you think uh, this time around so so dark it should not be funny but it is genuinely funny um i rewatched it last night you know after all i haven't seen it since 2015 and what struck me was how adept the director is at setting the tone from the very, very outset. You've got something that's going to make you smile gently. After we see our me and Alice driving her little moped with 
with the title credits going, we're straight into a counsellor's office where she's counselling various absolutely nutty patients. Um, and he just, from that moment, he instills a humour in it before any violence, before anybody gets tied up or, you know, brutalised. Automatically, by the time the darkness hits, you almost hit it while you're laughing. And it's these beautiful, tiny little moments within a really, you know, if you if you actually describe the whole story it's humongously serious by of course the it's of a it. sad sad dramatic story and it's just it's perfection the way he allows you to indulge things you shouldn't be allowed to indulge you know it's difficult as heck to uh to get this balance right and i mean it's is it elite maybe not but i can't for the life of me say that this is average but a little bit above average i think it's really well conceived yeah. that i mean i don't know how the director works but if he keeps it all in his head or needs to sort of put the you know the mood beats on a whiteboard to make sure he's uh balancing properly but it really feels uh like it's it knows when to crank into whatever mood he decides to you know totally. crank into and that, that, that that's certainly admirable i mean i i, I hope maybe you know, he, he got a chance to express this on in, in uh, promotion and things like that and try to explain himself what, what this is and try and sell this damn movie to audiences. Well, you know, I mean, the one good thing is wherever Alice has, has been seen, viewers have been completely polarised. People either adore it or really have a problem with it. When I was writing about it, I actually spoke to another person in the UK who, who writes about Korean cinema along with other Korean culture. And they had an, a horrible problem with a scene involving an iron, for sure. um, which I, I'm not going to give anything away. But for them, that scene was too much. It ruined the whole film and they therefore could not find any of it funny. I, I, I can sort of understand that because it takes a, you, 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 you need to ask your audience a lot to, uh, recover from that and then go with his mood two minutes later that might be silly I, I i kind of agree but for me when that hit all that kept going through my head was your channel and save the green planet here and it, yes it, it 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 worked when it did it and there's no reason why alice couldn't be allowed to do that you know if you're a fan of korean cinema you know what violence is you know sure. real song one always said Korean cinema is inherently violent, so you know you know you're going to see violence. And and and, and Park Chan Wook has never uh, shied away from uh, mixing humor and then seriousness and violence in the same frame either. And he's considered you know elite. So totally, totally. Uh, let, let, let's break it down. Um, for for me going into this uh, one blank uh, it was kind of wonderful because uh, you you get to witness a world in emotion this is uh, we see the girl on the scooter uh, into the therapy session cut to close-ups of uh, the clock striking five and a lot of you know not quick cuts but a lot of change up of of shots you know and uh, you know surprising cuts to all of a sudden, uh, the doctor being uh, taped up, and it gives a sense of frantic imagery overall. But it never really gets it wrong in terms of going too far and too frantic in a sort of, you know, debut director kind of fashion. You know, he's not, uh, Anne is not too eager 
to uh, put oh my ideas into this I'm gonna do that and do that and do that no it, it feels mapped out the way he uh, makes the static and uh, and frantic and uh, this um, surprising sort of plotting and 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 also the, the sort of classical flashback structure you 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 place a big old plot point of oh my someone is gonna kidnap a doctor why and then he he explains why you know and uh, asks us to go on that journey so in in a way that that's obviously traditional but uh, I, I i do like um, how visually he uh, he mixes it up without being uh, sloppy and loose and sort of he he doesn't accompany like shot changes and crazy editing with uh, extra whooshes and sounds on the soundtrack it doesn't try to make this like an audio visual annoying ride or anything if you know what i mean and on top of that, it, if you look at all the things that will annoy me about a big commercial Korean film is where they, they have these little moments that, that seem to be really pivotal and then they let them lie. And and you just think, well, what happened, what, what happened to that? The great thing about Alice in Ernest Land is the tiniest things from her learning. She's got to get loads of jobs to earn money. So she learns how to throw business cards to get them really accurately placed, you know, between doors and this, that and the other. And even tiny little moments like that play a significant part in the story later on. He he ties up every loose end. I didn't expect that to come back, by the way. I won't say more, but the the, the throwing of something. I didn't expect that to come back, <laughs> which was I th- nice. I think, I think it's a wonderful thing, especially for a first-time director, that he ties it all up and it all clicks in and he makes it all memorable absolutely memorable and, and it's a it's alive the frame you know because he starts to depict her as a little bit of a wonder child she's skilled and she can absorb skill and we see her you know use her fingers on the abacus and uh, try to um, educate herself as an accountant i think but you know she, she got she's got a personal drive and wants to gain traction in life but also wants to fall in love and then we we, we come it's really fast track this first section of the movie which made me think right well thank god it's only 90 minutes but it's also it threatens to be all of a sudden a 20 minute movie considering how fast he moves it's, it's not a bad thing obviously i knew he was going to slow down but i i like the the quickness getting us into falling in love trouble in love and then various tragic things <laughs> and then de- dedication to love but but I do like uh, you know funny shot choices such as um, I guess it's after their first uh, sex scene together we, we got a shot of her staring into her not yet husband's uh, nipples in bed she's just staring at his nipples or his chest and all of those things are funny they're not they're not sort of like uh, desperately quirky but um, it just fits the mood it becomes mood it becomes atmospheric you know technically how the movie is going to play and that becomes enjoyable how much then that is going to connect to storytelling to the mood of the storytelling it's it's that's going to have to play out in front of you but uh, there is a sense to uh, a play uh, a sense of playful in the air despite being a horrible drama and i can't really put my finger on why what it is he does to make that work other than doing it well do you have a take on that in terms of uh, how how he managed to get away with uh, doing something that's wonderfully entertaining even funny despite being a sad story 
I think he manages to set the scene early enough and any time, as you go through, yes, there's humongous darkness here. There's, there's, there's blood, there's, there's essentially torture. All the sections are small enough that a quirky, almost funny little moment will pop in straight after. So you're constantly reset. And I think a lot has to be given to actress Lee Jung-hun for her performance because she carries it all and she's got such an innocent, naive little grin that she constantly puts on without actually half time saying anything at all. I think you just warm to her. So even though she's committing acts that she should not be committing, you, you follow her, you follow her willingly. I, I think uh, when I realized her performance was on point and was going to probably continue to be on point was in the scene of the, uh, an accident has happened where a character loses uh, his fingers. I am keep keeping it vague, but I'm, I'm going to still say some specifics. Uh, the, these two characters arrive home and uh, they haven't found the fingers, presumably. And then she reaches into her pocket, probably after the keys, pulls up uh, something in her pocket that's in a piece of tissue, and it is the fingers. And she <laughs> she realizes, and it's very underplayed, it's more like a, a quiet reaction in that moment. And then they, they, there's a time cut to maybe hours later where she maybe for the 50th time has to... Well, it, it, it's she. It's Alice. So I'll, I'll spoil that. But maybe for the 50th time she has to explain again that I forgot I put it in my pocket. Sorry. You know what I mean? On the, on the same note of the tiny moments all adding together, when the person who has the, the accident has the accident... She's called to go and help them, passingly, completely passingly, as she's running and holding on to this person injured to take them to the hospital. You just briefly see an unnamed character with a white thing in his hand, stuff it in her pocket. And you completely miss it. But, you know, later on, you realize that what they were actually doing was putting the fingers in her pocket without her knowing. And it it, it all just adds together. It all just makes sense. It clicks together. And and yet all of the, that delivery of that type of humor and dark humor, that's done in a calm manner. Just because it's part visually frantic doesn't mean the delivery of comedy is frantic, but rather it's... Uh, is really underplayed and and dry yeah. and uh, you you get to sort of soak in the the nonsense or the, the error of her ways with her like oh no damn <laughs> sorry <laughs> so I, I i did like that that was one of my favorite moments and, and yes yeah, she is incredibly well in tune and on board with how she's going to be used visually how he's gonna shoot her and cut around her and how they'll edit her efficiency and devotion and the emotional beats as she goes about her day and tries to structure her day mathematically and tries to have a plan mathematically how to make money like she she's driven like you read about and obviously the rug is gonna be pulled out from under underneath her throughout the movie and uh, i never felt paul this was um experimental where and it strayed when it experimented visually you know it still felt like yeah you you notice that this is uh wants to be active as a frame but i never felt like it was uh trying to uh be noticed i suppose like for some reason it really story focused despite being very visually focused too you know i think i think he knew exactly what he wanted i think he, he specifically set out to not 
make himself noticeable to let the story do what the story does and just used what flair he needed to and i i do have to say you know for this being his his debut feature i can't wait to see what he's going to do next because i was deeply impressed there's a confidence there indeed it, it, it doesn't have the aura of i'm gonna be fucking weird and quirky because that's what directing is i'm 12 years old i know everything but nothing no it it's accomplished uh weirdness i suppose <laughs> totally and i think i think we're seeing inside his head i think this is his sense of humor as i say he said he has lots of dark thoughts but he's obviously a very funny man because it just it works on every bit as far as i'm concerned would you have guessed you, you you're the connoisseur of korean cinema high budget and low budget would you have guessed that this was a low budget movie or does this sometimes scream that well this looks rather accomplished they probably put some money into this or or did you immediately say that it's low budget but it looks great by the end of it i i was fairly sure that it was you know a, a small deal um if i hadn't seen seeing at the very start where it says kaffa films you kind of know it's small i couldn't ignore that but if that had been cut off and i'd gone straight in i wouldn't have been it wouldn't have occurred to me that oh this is a tiny budget film you know he's visually it it's nice it's beautiful and while we're on the subject you think this is a, a debut feature with no budget the cast they're, they're huge i mean they're far bigger than she is i mean she she won the the best actress award for playing alice but the cast that are around her are are just icons you know the number of people i could actually name if you look at Okwang rock now he's been in park chan wook films left right and center for decades he plays one line in this film as the the doctor who starts off saying who knows more about venereal disease a, a, a prostitute or a gynecologist you know while he's talking about these severed fingers you've got lee young nyo who's the nutty patient who again has like two lines and a, a set of tears at the start for about three seconds and she's she's been in park john wook stuff constantly playing mad women she was an i'm a cyborg etc etc all the others big big hitters you know um we'll, we'll t- i guess we'll talk a little bit more about the cast but some of them have been in hundreds of films and they've got these tiny roles in these in this this thing that are completely underset by her if the counselor therefore the, that gets kidnapped at the beginning of the movie that, is that our uh, is that another big name because that's our second leading lady so if we're gonna you will have seen her before but i'll guarantee you won't remember having seen her before um her name's seo young uh, as i say she plays a counselor in this she's got a very distinctive look to her she played the wife in a man who was superman she's in it for only five minutes but on top of that she was in memories of murder she she's done a lot of hong sang su stuff which if you like hong sang su is a big thing you know um right now wrong then which is a 2015 film that was in the top 10 um she's been in on the beach alone at night which won awards for him left right and center she's 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 a hitter she she chooses good good projects and i have to be honest when i saw her tied up in the counseling room it took me a fair while to recognize who she was and and, and certainly uh, he uh, without even announcing 
within the flashback that we're going to cut to the counselor's backstory we we do and i suppose here is the social commentary of the film like the plot line about she is leading a community protesting against the a redevelopment of a particular uh, housing uh, housing area like she's a leader in the community she is uh, driven and assertive and then the story plays out that leads up to the kidnapping which we won't uh, reveal and uh, it's uh, I mean for for me I can only take this on you know the story as as it plays out in front of me and that is concrete and uh, it's well told and I understood it 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 didn't seem like I was uh, ten steps behind and needed to bone up on the commentary of it all but uh, you you certainly hinted at that you picked up on this is a writer and director that has uh, picked up a fair few things in real life uh, in injustices of sorts uh, and wanted it to put it in his movie i know for a fact you don't think it's overbearing commentary that takes that makes other sections uh, less because he's uh, he's providing a too uh, too intense commentary he's too angry so but uh, still uh, not non-spoiler i want to bring listeners up to speed uh, what is he uh, actually referring to uh, from real life as he puts it into um, this movie he has said that as far as he's concerned there is a darkness behind korean society he has a real problem with the problems people face and the problems that they're forced to face um this is hugely political as a story if you choose to look for it he wraps it around a very simple story about one woman who because of a re- possible redevelopment could make a lot of money that would that would help her not work 300 jobs a day and the threat to that and the whole working 300 jobs a day you, I, I could randomly go to my dvd drawer and pick out a film and i'll guarantee you there'll be something about you know overworked underpaid koreans rich versus poor rich versus poor and he hits it right between the eyes he never goes over it if you're too angry about this you can't just make uh, an ass of yourself because then you you you're sim- you're taking away the cinematic quality of the movies. So I'm sure he mapped oh. this out in his head or on a whiteboard again. How how much of my anger versus how much of the story sort of drive needs to be here? And and it never seemed angry to me. It seems like it seemed like content rather than anger. Totally, and and I I can't help but feel that he's he's sat down and thought. I'm going to do a black comedy. That was his first thought. And he thought, I'm going to do it about this that I'm passionate about. But what we'll do is say, this is the way it is. It needs to change. And what these problems cause push people into this madness. And here's real madness for you, how she copes with it, because she's no other option from her point of view. And it just, it, it gives a nice balance between societal commentary and just, you know that madness that is save the green planet etc etc and 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 indeed in this section that madness is at its most evident i suppose and uh, i can't say why again why uh, purely why it works to mix and match humor and sadistic violence some truly shocking uh, violence against our leading lady uh, it's really well uh, stunt choreographed i have to tell you like when she gets punched in the face that's pre- pretty much the most shocking image for me. 
totally, totally. That 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 stopped me in my tracks. I have to say, I really did. That that is great stunt coordinating. That's the that's great effects work because it uh, it really took me aback because uh, that was a big old real punch in the face. It looked like it looked like it obviously wasn't. It's an unpredictable downward spiral that mixes amusement, uh, some grave reality, as uh, Paul talked of. The stylish flourishes keep on being there. The the, the shots uh, that he chooses uh, while still maintaining a very static and concrete frame. And it never goes any predictable, uh, predictable routes. And the shocking routes it does go, I mean... I don't blame you if you think this is inexcusable to go the f- as far as it goes, but it is a black comedy. It's uh, the movie is populated with eccentricity, uh, like eccentric characters, and that eccentric nature equals sickness in some cases, and that could generate violence. And that is not funny anymore, if it even was funny at the beginning. Um, it's, it's somehow infectious content. I, I certainly. At, at least in the most grave violent sections that wasn't funny but when he gets a little bit out of it mixes the silly looking interrogation between the two cops and uh, lee crammed in the middle then you sort of oh boy <laughs> that's it's this is stupid they're, they're they're literally staging a very stupid scene <laughs> and they, they got me with it you know what I mean? Like uh, totally, he, totally. The, the tone, the delivery between the actors as they sit there. She is super small versus those two cops. And they, they don't bring her into the police station. That's the thing. They sit in her apartment and the only place to sit. Her tiny apartment. Exactly. She is literally like a tenth of their size. It looks like. <laughs> and it's, 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 a, it's a droll image that... Um, that that gets to me um you know after a couple of are you kidding me torture moments uh, i suppose uh, this works but for some odd reason i keep coming back to this the movie doesn't seem indecisive in terms of tone shifts it has decided on what it wants for better or worse and i can as you alluded to and i i can just imagine that this is a this is a movie with no middle ground considering how far it goes and that's a reaction it's not a um, neutral reaction I, I don't think this movie would have a neutral reaction you either go with it or so some things will be unacceptable to you and i would find it i couldn't break it down in one minute why that opinion is wrong i will probably say i don't blame you but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Uh, like, have you ever ended up in such discussion with, with people uh, with uh, Alice in Ernest Land that it, it, it becomes increasingly hard to argue that I can't say why the torture works, but for me it does. It works for the movie, or, or is it no point? But uh, is there no point to try and argue against someone who's uh, dead set on disliking it? It it's, it really is in this case one or the other, you know. Um, they they just either can cope with it or they can't. Um, I think it balances it really well, and I w- I would happily argue and have argued endlessly about why it's okay to laugh at someone who's deaf, even though it's completely wrong. It, it's it's set up to give you that feeling. Likewise, every time I've mentioned Alice, and in fact I I actually mentioned we were doing this podcast a couple of days ago, and you immediately get a message from someone going. I loved it. I loved it. And that's that's not that often. You don't get that with big commercial films. You know, people just accept that you're doing something and they'll listen to it when it comes or whatever. But Alice has got people standing up and going, I, you know, I loved it or equally standing up going, it's wrong. 
So, you know, it's going to be down to each individual viewer. But if you're into Korean cinema, how can you not like this? You know, the reason I chose we paired this with Kim Ji-un's Quiet Family as, as two podcasts. And the reason I chose it is because just like it, just like classic Korean cinema, it's the story of a, a person who everything they do falls apart. Everything they try to do disintegrates and gradually falls to bits. And that's a huge thing from new Korean cinema and leading on since. And you could also say, if you like Korean cinema, you're going to be aware of female revenge of women that are wronged who suddenly go postal, you know, their S diary, sympathy for lady vengeance, etc., etc. And I think Alice fits right in with that as well. And from my point of view, that allowed me to accept the darkness even more. The one thing it doesn't do, though, but by choice, I'm sure, is target your heartstrings. I, I don't remember any scene where the sad predicament, where, where her desperation and the increasing unfairness and injustice and bad luck, uh, you know, gets piled on top of each other, where she breaks down crying and they go for a traditional dramatic scene. They don't go those routes, but I think that is by choice because you... Yes, so do I. But, because by that point in the latter stages of the movie, I don't, and I'm not sure that that would have been tough to in, inject in there because by that, that point you've had captivity and you, you got the silly cops in there and uh, even moments like, like I suppose the closest moment to that is when uh, she thinks her husband has uh, regained their movement but the doctor explains to her that no it's a spasm I, I gotta tell you that scene made me laugh and I shouldn't have because her desperation in her eyes and she cries in that scene though uh, she says but, but he moved no it's a spasm but he moved that must mean something no as I told you that's a muscle spasm it's a common sign but he did move though that's a good thing right no it's a muscle spasm and that made made me laugh but she's so devoted and again i think she cries in that scene and it's within that sort of like please please let let it be something positive please and then it's not but and also by the way the makeup in this movie is amazing and even though i rarely talk of it but in many scenes her eyes eyes uh, her probably her eyes who knows <laughs> but her lips are completely dried and they're also i think that there's wounds on them and uh, they're being blooded but they're also very very extremely dry and uh, at one point you also see her bruised uh, legs and feet i was taken aback by those moments and th those are the moments where a makeup department earns their money where it's not the signature moments it's not a a and the blood goes psh type of moment that, that that's meant to it's sort of environmental in a way you place it on the character that is busy acting rather than let's have a moment of psh kudos to the makeup department that looked um that looked scarily real totally and you know on, on the same note um whenever she, she does a she's doing all these jobs menial jobs you know cleaning windows cleaning houses delivering newspapers delivering business cards to earn money to make her and her husband's lives better and when he first finds out you know how hard she's working he does so by looking at her hands and the makeup department has has made them look really overworked and gnarly and it's a passing second but it it stuck with me it was just like that that's exactly she's working all the time and that's quite poignant but again it's just thrown away and they get back to the 
you know, the quirky nature. And I think that's a nice way to do it rather than doing the whole shift into melodrama. My, my, my final two notes. Uh, I, I, I like uh, that he um, is in control of uh, making sure we are caught up when the movie is back in present day and we realize the background to the kidnapping you know how fed up she is by that point and uh, because he doesn't need to emphasize it like so many movies do emphasize the the connection back to a moment previously by this by by like a grainy black and white uh, uh, flashback like he, he doesn't even do that you know he simply catches up with the story and we do as well, meaning he's again in control of this, and you. But by that point, you realize that this has been immensely entertaining. You also have to remind yourself that this has been immensely sad. But the director wants us to feel that it's not terribly oppressing to sit through Alice in Ernest Land. That cinema is to be played with, and um, he runs with that uh, quite successfully. And uh, this probably deserves a wider cult appeal because of the various directions. Um, it goes in and i suppose it hasn't because this hasn't been the most widely distributed movie in the west and all of that i, I guess uh, if tartan asia extreme was still a thing you know go back 15 years then it might have had a better chance i suppose in the uk for instance you know it's a, it, it, it seems very much like a tartan Ex- asia extreme title this very very much so it would have fitted in so perfectly well with with their label and would have got it the recognition that it that it actually truly deserves I just hope it's cultish enough to create a cult of its own over time. I guess we'll see in terms of international, you know, DVD availability, how long that lasts, et cetera, et cetera. I do got two more things. Uh, I want another name check. Uh, the actor who keeps uh, Lee captive for a couple of minutes in the movie is really effective despite going with the madman ticks. You know, he's got anger management problems, so he goes psycho on us. Uh, but it's a really genuinely scary performance considering mm. what he puts her through, which is almost nigh on comedic considering what he puts her in, what type of contraptment he puts her in. End. It's just so bizarre and yet oddly scary. But le- uh, let's give a name check uh, to the actor because he, I think he really stood out despite giving a role where he's going to act like the madman. His name is Lee Jung-hook. You may not recognize his name. You may not even recognize his face. But I said the cast were pretty big. He has been in over 100 films since 2008. He's been in massive films like Masquerade, Love Fiction, Sunny, The Yellow Sea. He was even in, a, a couple of years ago, there was a film called Remember You that was being made by a director called Lee Yoon Jung. She couldn't get it finished. She was, you know, she's she worked as a production person for Park Chan-wook over the years. She's trying to make her first film. She couldn't get it made. An actor, Jung Woo Sung, she put it on Kickstarter and he ended up investing a lot of money and agreeing to act in it um, a lot of us invested in it as well it was made and lee jung hook is in remember you as well so he's not only hitting a lot of films he's hitting big films and humongously small films like remember you and indeed alice in Ernestland. so you gotta give him points he he loves helping filmmakers and uh, just clicking on his uh, filmography lee jung hook yeah 
Uh, indeed, that's a filmography and a half, uh, TV and film, and an award-winning actor for, for his TV work as well. So uh, Totally, totally. That could be such a thankless role, but he made uh, something uh, with it. Uh, you know, he's got a burly build as well, so and it's, you know, he's, he's got his, he's not on his medication, so that doesn't help, and that's uh, the sequence that <laughs> yeah. uh, probably could cause walkouts, uh, I would imagine. I want to ask something, but if this one thing I never understood, and maybe this is a huge problem, but it wasn't. And if this is spoiler territory, then this is just for you and me. But the title, Alice in Earnest Land, certainly evokes Alice in Wonderland, but the poster, which is completely removed from, and it's not imagery from the film, it's uh, more or less, she kind of looks like Alice in Wonderland. And that's, Paul, the only elusive part for me. I didn't really understand how it mildly connected because you, you don't you don't name it Alice in Ernest Land in English and, and uh, claim that you are uh, unconnected to, you know, Alice in Wonderland uh, title-wise. So, uh, what, uh, you know, what's your take on that? If it is spoilers, then you can explain it to me and we'll, we'll just cut it out of the show. But uh, what's your take on that, uh, the, the Alice to Alice connection? <laughs> All I can think is that that was his taking, you know. If you look at Alice, if you actually were to describe her personality, she is nothing if not earnest. And I think he's just come up with a title that just gives an idea of maybe a surrealness. And there is surrealness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in the same way as Alice in Wonderland, but I think he's come up with the title and just thought this is cool because it sums her up. And it says that this is going to be slightly out of the norm, slightly not ordinary. And I, I think that's all there is to it. It's therefore um, designing a poster shoot around her in a particular dress that evokes Alice in Wonderland. Is that just sort of there to enhance that mild idea? Plus, you got to get audiences into into your movie because it, it crafts curiosity. She has a mop that looks like it's soaked in blood as well and she's uh, she's got blood uh, spots on her apron so it, it it's an image that makes you go oh this is not children's friendly probably it very much does i mean I, you know going to see films at, at festivals or whatever or buying movies i will 99% of the time have some idea of what's going on the first thing i saw about alice in ernest land was that poster and whoever designed it needs a pat on the back it's a stupendously gorgeous looking poster mm-hmm. it's just i love it that's all i knew about it that, that's like a proper photo, photo session really you know? totally and as soon as i saw that image i i immediately made the decision not to learn anything about the film to see it blank just as you did and it was the film poster alone that drew me in it works for the along with the title, which I think is quirky enough to draw your attention as well. Um, but I think whoever designed that, whatever artist or photo person put that that poster together, deserves a lot of money. Because it never has any uh, fantasy style images that uh, you know he, he he never goes surreal to that degree where uh, where we are. Like, yeah, there it is. You know, uh, it it really it flew over my head, but it didn't seem to matter as such, to understand the connection. I don't think it does. I think that the film is good enough to speak for itself. 
itself regardless of its title for sure so so yes um i'm gonna invest in this uh, when i have uh, another order to place at an asian uh, dvd retailer even though it's only dvd I'm, I'm, i'd be happy to uh, invest in this paul was kind enough to supply us with the uh, viewing material uh, but yes, uh, because uh, as for availability, the Korean DVD with English subtitles, of course, is readily available. It is a bit pricey at, at 25 to 30 US dollars, but it is available nonetheless. And I think uh, if you do if you do like it, if you if it does sound like something you would fancy, then uh, then it's, it seems like a fair investment. And, and uh, so I'm going to do that eventually, but uh, uh, hopefully it might turn up on some other sites and be a few bucks cheaper because um, that's excluding shipping. You know, $30, yeah. $30 for a DVD is a tad bit too expensive, but uh, I like it enough to, uh, to swallow that sour pill that I'll gripe about for ages and ages and ages because that's the kind of guy i am no <laughs> but i think that's quite an, a, another accolade for the film that you in spite of griping about it are willing to do that you know ha- having already seen it especially yeah i would love for it to be um to be hd of course because uh, its visuals are uh, colorful and uh, eye-popping enough where it deserves a clean image but uh, the, the dvd will do fine and uh, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future of course because uh, sometimes you never know with uh, the streaming, but it doesn't have American distribution, so it isn't on Amazon Prime, for instance, and uh, and, and you can't buy it either um, uh, on Amazon Prime. So because uh, uh, if it had HD digital, digitally, boom, in a heartbeat. Uh, so, uh, but uh, it, it's out there. So, and I forgot to ask anything else you want to say about Alice in Ernest Land. I, all I'm going to do is give your listeners, our listeners, um, a little bit of advice if you're interested in Korean cinema check out Alice in Ernest Land. It tells an important, serious story in a really beautifully quirky, confident way. And Lee Jung-hun's performance is worth spending 25 or $30 on the DVD alone. She is incredible in this film and she makes it so much more than it could ever have hoped to have been. Watch this film. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, be annoyed at the fact that uh, you thought you were looking at a 25-year-old actress, when in reality she was about 35 or 36 when she made this. Mind blow. Can I just add one more extra little note? Of course. At the very, or at the early stages of Alice in Ernest Land, as you know, um, she's talking to the counsellor about her past and she goes back in flashback to when she was 16 this actress is 35 36 years old they flash back to her as a schoolgirl with and i quote wonderful boobs um and she they've got her in a ponytailed wig she's 36 and she's playing a 16 year old and she gets away with it what on earth which sounds like such an annoying choice to just throw a wig onto the elder actress so to say or the older actress but uh, indeed i didn't even think about it so totally it just works it's like the john uh, doyon uh, sort of uh, deal with the devil we're dealing with here very very much so you know we all need to go out and buy a korean uh, moisturizer i think <laughs> exactly all righty thanks paul for introducing me uh, to it it was uh, quite uh, quite a delight and again 90 minutes uh, easy in and out like that not a two-hour investment not even 130 minutes of uh, uh, prolonged uh, prolonged madness no 90 minutes in and out so uh, can't go wrong 
Uh, so that's it for this episode. We'll hit the think tank, as we always say. So thank you for following us uh, for this particular coverage two weeks in a row. Quite family last week and Alice in Ernest Land this week. So I hope you enjoyed. And in the meantime, uh, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, including uh, trailers and reviews and uh, whatever links are relevant to our discussion, check out the show post at podcastonfire.com and all the relevant links to how you subscribe to us on apple podcasts and find us on social media all of it is available in the show post or permanently at the top of our site so that's uh, me plugged out so let me throw over to uh, paul again whose review for alice in earnest land will be linked to of course and uh, lovely thank thank you so much it Um, costs me merely well it costs you merely no it doesn't cost anything because i'm doing it out of kindness that's that's very good. I'm glad I don't owe you any favors yet. Lovely to talk to you guys. I'm Paul. I've, I'm from HangleCelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangleCelluloid. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, if you go to the site's main homepage, there are buttons for the Facebook and Twitter feeds. Um, so, you know, that's where you want to head and just click stuff. And, you know, if you if you want to like, I will like. Lovely talking to you. That's it, and uh, we're done for this episode. So, thank you for listening. I've been Kenny, and with me was Paul Quinn of Angle Celluloid. So, out of Ernest Land, we go into into real life, and uh, indeed. So, thank you very much, everybody, and goodbye. Take care.